the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, oh God, we come before you, Father, how amazed we are at your love for us that you would send your Son into this world to rescue us from the sin and your wrath and our destruction. Oh, yes, we believe in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. I invite you to be seated. I have something special today, so I'd like to invite the children, if you'd like to come up, and some of you adults may want to move to some seats where you can see a little bit better, because I don't know if you remember from your past flannel boards, but we're going to be doing a flannel board today. And so if you're out on the wings, you may want to move in. If you're in the back, you may want to move up. And if you're a child or a child at heart, oh my goodness, we lost everything. Then come on up. And just sit down there, guys. Got to cover that ocean. All right. There we go. Oh, yeah, we got a road. Um, Right there. Perfect. Perfect. All right. It's hard to set up technology. Oh, hi. All right. We're ready. You guys ready? All right. Oh, hi. hi. How are you? Are you going to stay here with me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at all of you who appeared as I was turned around. I'm so glad you're here this morning. We're talking about Acts chapter 19. And you guys have been studying Acts in your class, haven't you? So you've been keeping up with us. So Acts chapter 19, and we're going to look at this today, and it's a big story. There's a lot of things in there, so I thought the best way for us to know it would be to do it with these flannel boards that would help us. So we start out with Paul. And as we've been following the book of Acts, we've been following Paul quite a bit, haven't we? And Paul was a great preacher. He was an evangelist, and he would go all around the world, and he loved to go to places where nobody else had been before so that he could tell them the truth about Jesus. But there was one time where he decided to go back to the places he'd been before and encourage the people who lived there. And so that's where our text is today, and he comes to a place called Ephesus. And when he comes to Ephesus... He comes upon a group of men there. And the first group of men that he meets, there's about 12 of them. They're not all here. But there's about 12 of them all together. And he meets them. And he says, wow. And they said, yeah, we're believers. And they say, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Paul asked them that question. They said, we never heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, well, whose baptism did you receive? And they said, well, we received the baptism of John the Baptist. You remember a long time ago, John the Baptist lived before Jesus, and he said that Jesus would be coming, and he baptized people for repentance, but that wasn't the same as the baptism that came after Jesus came. And so Paul told them all about the fact that Jesus had come, 
And then Jesus had come to bring forgiveness, and they believed, and they were baptized in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they did many powerful things. Paul did a lot of powerful things as well. As a matter of fact, while he was there in Ephesus, what would happen is a lot of people would come, and they would bring, and they would listen to what he had to say and what he had to teach, but they would also bring their sick people. And so sick people would come to him and they would bring them to him. And they would listen to what Paul had to say. And do you know what happened? The Holy Spirit was so powerful in Paul that he did extraordinary, miraculous things. God used him to help heal people. As a matter of fact, people would come if somebody was too sick and couldn't make it, they would bring a handkerchief. And they would bring the handkerchief. And they would have Paul touch that handkerchief. And then they'd, they'd take it home. And anybody they touched with that handkerchief would be healed. Can you imagine? What would that be like? Well, some people got excited about that. And they thought, wow, if Paul could do that, maybe we could do it too. Because Paul was saying the name of Jesus. And so we're told that there were, there were seven brothers. Thank you, sweetie. There were seven brothers. And they were the sons of a chief priest named Sceva. And these seven brothers thought, wow, if Paul can do this stuff, maybe we could do it too. And so they went into a house and they were gonna, there was a man who had evil spirit in him. And so they went into that house and they said, in the name of the Jesus that Paul speaks about, we command you to come out. And that evil spirit said, man, we know Jesus, we know about Paul, but we have no idea who you are. And they beat the guys up. And then the guys went running out of the house and they were really scared. And everybody in the area was scared, don't you think? Yeah, I think I'd be scared too. So everybody was scared. And that made everybody who had believed in the name of Jesus to be a lot more serious about what they believed. As a matter of fact, we're told that a lot of them came and began to confess things that they had done. Things that, that they were worshiping other than Jesus. And they, they came and they began to confess those things. And we're told that some of these people were sorcerers. They were sorcerers and magicians. They cast magic spells. And they came and they had scrolls with them. And these scrolls had all sorts of information in them, like spells that they could cast and things like that. And they brought these things. And they thought, what are we going to do with these things? Because we don't want to worship this stuff anymore. We love Jesus. We don't love these things anymore because these things aren't pleasing to Jesus. And somebody said, well, maybe we should just give them away to somebody else. And the other person said, no, that wouldn't be good because if we give them away to someone else, that person might start worshiping these things. And they said, well, what should we do? And one of them said, I know, let's start a fire. So they started a fire. And everybody put their scrolls, these scrolls that had all sorts of sorcerer stuff on it, they put those on the fire and they burned them up. And do you know the Bible tells us that these scrolls were so valuable 
that the, the books that they burned up were worth millions of dollars, like almost $10 million worth of books that they burned up. <gasps> wow. So it makes you wonder, what about the stuff in our lives? Is there anything that we love more than we love Jesus? And if there is, what do we do with those things, right? Burn them up. Now, while that was going on, something else was happening. In, in Ephesus, which is the city, there was this giant temple. It was huge. It was very, very big. Do you know that the temple was bigger than a football field? Whew, think of that, how big that is, to be in a building that big. And that temple was to worship a goddess. And the goddess's name was Artemis. And they believed, you see, that Artemis actually fell from heaven. And they believed that she fell from heaven. And so they all worshipped her. And there was a man named Demetrius. And Demetrius was a silversmith. He made things out of silver. And what he made out of silver were all of these idols. And people would buy these things and they'd have them in their house because they worshipped Artemis and thought she was so great. And they would, they would worship her. Well, what happened was, as people came to start knowing about Jesus more and more, as they began confessing and as they began burning up the things that Jesus didn't love, all of a sudden, nobody wanted to buy these statues anymore. They were like, what do we need those statues for? We got Jesus. So they didn't want the statue. Well, Dimitri, he wasn't very happy about that, Demetrius. He said, man, these people, you know, and so he called his friends around and the people who were working for him. And he called them all together and he said, fellow Ephesians, we've got to be careful because this Paul character is telling people that Artemis shouldn't be worshipped and because of that, She's, her temple's going to crumble and she's going to leave. And then what will we do? And they all got afraid. So they all got together and they left the temple and they went to the amphitheater. And the amphitheater was a huge building. It was even bigger than the temple. And it held 24,000 people. And so 24,000 people gathered in that, in that uh, arena, in the, and they gathered together, all together, and they started calling out. And they started calling out all sorts of different things. And they started getting together, and some of them started saying, Great is Artemis, goddess of Ephesus. And other people were like, why are we here? They didn't even know why they were here, but there was a crowd, so why not show up, you know? Because a lot of times when there's people there, everybody comes. So some people didn't even know what they were doing, but other people were crying that out. And then Dimitri, Demetrius had two of Paul's friends brought in. And these two friends came in, and Demetrius said, these are the guys, they're, they're changing everything. And so let me read to you what Demetrius said. These people are saying that gods made by human hands are no gods at all and shouldn't be worshipped. There's a danger that not only will our trade lose its good name, but that also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who's worshipped throughout the whole province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine glory. So they brought these two men out, and these two men 
they, when the crowd realized these two men were Jews, then they began to really cry out. And for two hours, they shouted in unison, great is the goddess Artemis, the goddess of Ephesus. Can you imagine 24,000 people all yelling that at the top of their lungs? How loud can you yell? Let's hear you go, ah! One, two, three. Well, that's kind of loud. Let's hear if we all do it. One, two, three. Great is Artemis! Goddess of Ephesus, 24,000 people yelling that for two hours. And finally, the, the city clerk came, and he quieted them down, and he brought a guard. And he quieted them down, and he said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything. You brought these men here, though they have neither robbed the temple nor blasphemed our goddess. You need to go home right now, because if you don't go home, we're going to get in trouble for, for gathering for no reason. So... All the people went to their own homes, even Demetrius. And what we realize in that is that if we obey God and if we don't worship false gods, God will protect us, right? And God will quiet the voices of everyone else. Thank you. You guys have been great. All right, I'm going to release you to your class now. Thanks, guys. You guys were pretty good, too. Acts chapter 19. Today we're going to look at the truth. The followers of Jesus who are living a life of obedience can be used by God to change the culture. See, the culture of Ephesus, it was a city of 250,000 people, 250,000 people, and the entire economy was built around this temple to Artemis. And people would come from all over the empire so that they could worship this goddess who supposedly had fallen from heaven. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And as people came, they would sacrifice time, money, just so they could come and worship this goddess who supposedly had fallen from heaven. And it was the entire economy of that city. And because of Paul and the Christians and their lives and the way that they lived, the entire economy of this city changed and the culture changed. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love for our culture to change. Because the truth is, we have all sorts of temples in our culture, don't we? And we have all sorts of people who gather together for two hours to cheer, don't we? Not in Milwaukee anymore, but in other cities. (laughs) 
How do we change the culture? How can we do that? There's a card in your bulletin. I've begun talking about this the last couple of weeks, but I, I asked Jean if she'd make a graphic for it so we could maybe grab hold of it in a little different way. It's this idea that Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save, and we know that. You will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save. And then we're told a little later in Scripture that we're saved so that we can be sent. In John 17, when Jesus is praying, he prays and says, as I have been sent, so I send them into the world. We have been saved so that we could be sent into the world. And we've been sent into the world so that we can serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he tells his disciples in John 13, in the same way that I've served you, so go serve each other, serve the world. We're, we're sent into the world to serve. And we serve so that we can show that Jesus came to save The reason that we serve is so that others can know that God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So then as people come to see that Jesus came to save, they go out and they're sent and they go to serve. And so this circle happens. And if I could, I'd ask you to, in the middle of your circle, write Christ because you see, for this to happen in your life, Christ has to be the center of your life. Something has to happen in your life for that to change. Instead of being focused and centered around yourself, egocentric, you need to be centered around Christ, Christocentric. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, so I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Christ is the center of my life. And as Christ becomes the center of your life, as, as your life revolves around him and your, his presence in your life, then you realize that he came to save and, and he's sending you into a world that desperately needs to know so that you can serve them, so that they can see that Jesus came to save. There's a new show. Maybe you've seen it. It's called New Amsterdam. How many of you have seen it? That's probably going to get discontinued. Okay, so... <laughs> The premise of this show is there's this doctor who's going to come in and save the hospital, and, and he's going to completely redo uh, health care in, in America, and which apparently we need, and it can be done in an hour a week. So here we go. And um, amen, we could change the culture. So um, as you look at that, though, the thing that has impressed me as I've watched this is this man comes in, and he's walking into a terribly broken system. And all sorts of people in this broken system are frustrated on all sorts of parts. The doctors are frustrated, nurses are frustrated, janitors are, the patients are, everybody's frustrated. And so as people come to him with their frustrations, he asks them one question, how can I help? And people don't know what to say because they're not used to being asked that question, right? They're used to rather, if someone's complaining, it's much easier just to join in with them, right? But see, we're sent so that we could serve. So, as I've been thinking about this, I've thought, how often is that question on my lips? How often as I come into people who are experiencing hurt or heartache or pain, how often do I say, how can I help? 
And how often do I think something different that's probably not all that helpful? What would happen if we had that on our lips as we, we look to serve? And see, then what happens is, the truth is, most of the time when I'm faced with those things, it's something I can't help, right? I've got limited power, but I've got access to ultimate power. And so what happens is if someone comes in and I say, how can I help? And I realize that the only way I can help is by having God work through me, then all of a sudden I have God work through me and I can demonstrate that Jesus came to save So the reason I serve, the reason I ask how can I help, the reason that I do that is so that I can reveal the truth that there's someone, someone magnificent who wants to step into that person's life. And I think that's what we see in Acts 19. Now the truth is this circle, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. God has given us a free will. You don't have to step into this. You don't have to place Christ into the center of your life. Like these disciples of John who who believed, but they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit because they had not yet received the name of Jesus. You could just live and, and pretend. But you put Christ in the center of your life. Now, you know the old illustration. I'll use it again because I need to remind myself often if Karen asks me to go to Walmart at noon on a Saturday, I got two choices. I got to go to Walmart or I get to go to Walmart, right? One letter, it's all the difference. And look at, you know, I got to go to Walmart. I get to go to Walmart. She didn't ask anybody else. She asks me because that's how special I am to her. Amen. Isn't that great? And I get to go. Hey, guys, if you mess up the list enough times, they stop asking. No, I'm kidding. No. I'm sorry. Okay, so I get to go to Walmart. See, this isn't something we got to do. This is something we get to do. See, you're special in in the eyes of God. You're special. He's chosen you and saved you and rescued you so that you could go out and make him known. And that's what was happening in Ephesus. And people were coming to this understanding that, listen, we we need to believe in his name. need to believe in the name of Jesus. And that's what happened with this group of followers. They said, we believe in the name of Jesus. They placed him in the center of their lives. And they began to live a life that was changed. The second thing we see is that followers of Jesus are known by the power of Jesus' name. They are known by the power of Jesus' name. Because Paul, he's, he's going around and he is known by the power in his name. Even the evil spirits know that Paul has the power of Jesus in him. See, that's what happens when you put Christ in the center of your life and you begin to pursue him, and you begin to get filled with power of the Holy Spirit, and you begin to tap into that power, you see, you begin to get known as somebody who's following Jesus. And you're not known just by people in the community as someone who follows Jesus. You're known by the spiritual realm as someone who's following Jesus. And that gets pretty significant. And I want to tell you something. You don't want to be doing battle in the spiritual realm, in your own power. You get that, right? 
You do not want to be doing battle in the spiritual realm in your own power. So you put on the armor of God and then you stand. (laughs) And you stand against the attacks of the devil, but you need that armor of God. You need the Holy Spirit's power in your life. And as you, as you grab onto that and as you take hold of that, you become known by the power of his name. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs, stuck handkerchiefs, even handkerchiefs that were touched by him could bring healing. Do you believe that God can do a miracle? Today? Do you believe he could do a miracle today in your life? Do you, do you believe that God can do a miracle today? Do you believe expecting? Do you wake up, hit the floor, and go, God's going to do a miracle today. I just know it. Do you believe God can do a miracle? Or do you believe maybe that, that God can do a miracle, but probably it's not going to be a miracle in my life? Probably not. See, what does it mean to believe? There's an illustration that talks about a, a, a student who was given an assignment to, to explain what belief is. And so this student had a, had a huge classroom, something like this size, and, and so he, he, he got a pendulum, you know, a huge pendulum, one of those ones with a big knife blade on it, you know, and, and, and he fastened it to the center of the ceiling, and then, you know, he, he, he set it all up, and then he, he went to the other side of the room, and he said to the professor, he said, okay, now you want me to prove what belief is, so how about here, listen, I have your desk set up, and I put your chair up on top of the desk here, so why don't you climb up there and sit down, so the professor did, and the student said to the professor, can you tell me what is the principle of the pendulum? And the teacher said, well, the principle of the pendulum is that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Basically, what he said was this, is that the pendulum will never return back to a point farther from the point it was released. It's the principle of the pendulum. And so the student said to the professor, do you believe in the principle of the pendulum? The professor, oh, of course I believe in it. Okay, so the student goes across the room, and he grabs the pendulum. And he takes the pendulum, and he goes back to the teacher on the other side of the room. And he brings the pendulum right up to the nose of the professor as he's sitting on the chair. And he releases the pendulum. And the pendulum swings across the room. And it reaches its apex, and it swings back. Whoosh. And it's heading right back towards the professor. And as it heads towards the professor, it gets right about here, and the professor jumps off the chair. Don't you think? And so the student asked the question, does the professor believe in the principle of the pendulum? Not so much. Do you believe God could do a miracle today in your life? Or are you jumping off the desk? Thank you, Troy. 
<laughs> Could I suggest to you that we are working really hard to make Christ known in our power? Because we do not believe that God can do a miracle. We do not believe that God can change our culture. We do not believe that God can repair broken marriages. We do not believe that God can put an end to the senseless ending of human life. We do not believe that God can heal. We do not believe, we do not believe. We believe in the same way the professor does. We have a head knowledge of it, but it doesn't have our heart. And we're so used to working in our own power that we are not taking hold of the power that will change our culture. The, the reason, I'm sorry, I understand that. I hope it does. I believe that with all my heart, but I don't believe we believe it. And part of the reason for that is we're holding on to our scrolls. What are our scrolls? What are those things that we're holding on to that, that are, are the things that we ascribe worth to other than God? What are those things in our lives? What are the things that in each of our lives? And they're the things that we hold on to because we're not certain that we can release these things. It could be the pain from a past relationship. It could be my self-effort. It, it could be comfort eating. It could be, you know, some sort of addiction. It could be pornography. It could be emotional relationships that aren't healthy. It could be one of a million things. What are the things that we're holding on to that we haven't placed on the fire? The verse says that they came and they confessed openly what they had done. And they brought these scrolls and they burned them. And as I've been looking at this, as I've been thinking about it, does the church embrace the truth that God can do miraculous things? Are we living as though that's the truth? And have we released the things? Because you see, in order for us to take hold of the power of God and the power of Jesus, we have to release those things in our lives. And so many of us have hold on those things. I know I do. We hold on to these things. And then, and then the offers made, bring Jesus into your life, and you're like, okay. And, and we try to slip him in here. See, and that, that, that doesn't place him at the center. I have to release these things. I have to let him go. I have to confess those things that I'm worshiping instead of God the things that God finds detestable that I consider entertainment, the things that I'm holding on to, I have to release those things so that I can embrace God and embrace his power and embrace Jesus and in the midst of that, find him embracing me. And it makes me angry as well that we don't live as though God can do miraculous things. But the truth is, if the culture is going to change, we have to change. 
And we have to begin to do these things and, and live as though what we talk about is true. Followers of Jesus living in joyful obedience cause people to reconsider their choices. One of the things I find the most significant is as, as the, the city clerk speaks to the, to the group that was congregated there. You have brought these men here, verse 37, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. The culture needed to change. But these people who had come to know the Lord, who, who burned their scrolls, who lived in the power of God, who believed that God could really do what he said he could do, and those people who were living according to that lived their lives changed in such a way that, that people stopped buying idols and stopped worshiping other gods. They didn't have to bash the culture. They didn't have to bash Artemis. They didn't have to bash the temple. They didn't have to say, don't buy idols. People just began to do that. You see, and and if we're going to be examples of that, we need to start doing that seriously. We need to start burning these things. We need to confess and we need to turn. And we need to surrender all to Jesus and place him in the center. And do you know what? People find that attractive. See, we bash the culture and do you know that people who don't know Jesus are not going to live like Jesus? Did you, did you know that? People who follow Jesus have a hard enough time living like Jesus. But people don't know him, they're not going to live that way. And so they're going to come up to you in pain and hurt and sorrow, and they're going to be overwhelmed by the things that are happening in their lives, and you hold the hope, and the hope is Jesus. And you've been entrusted with that, so you can say, how can I help? And then you, relieve, you reveal the power of the name. See, what happens when we bash the culture is we begin to get known for what we're against. And, and we've done a good job of, of proclaiming that. As a group of, of people, not us, but I mean as a church as a whole, we've done a good job of talking about what we're against. But what this chapter shows us is that these people were known for what they were for. They were four people experiencing the forgiveness that comes from releasing their hold on the things that are hurtful to Jesus. So what happens if we begin to get known for what we're for? What happens if we really start believing the things that we come here and say we believe? Now, maybe some of you believe it completely. I don't know that. Maybe some of you are wrestling with this a little bit. I'd love to tell you that I have such belief in everything that I'm just unshakable in everything there is. Hey, listen, you know what? Can you say that, Perry? Jason, you know? I mean, right? So why do we gather? Because I need to encourage you with this stuff. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. Because our culture needs to change. And it needs to change because they don't know Jesus and they can be set free. So God, search our hearts in this, will you please? Overwhelm us with a sense of who you are. Help us realize we get to do this.
God, I feel as though we've maybe touched some, some spots here today for some people. If you're working in our hearts, God, if we're allowing that to happen, I pray that you'd sharpen us. Helps to go away from this place changed. Jesus, you came to save. You sent us to make that known, and you, you want us to serve so that people will know that you've been sent. So help us put you in the center of our lives so that can happen. Help us to openly confess those things that are, are wrong in our lives. Help us to burn those things. And help us to believe in the power that you've given to us. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen? Amen.